0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz Today, we are starting our season previews for all of the conference opponents for the Kansas football. Uh, team this year to do that we are actually just going to go in order that we have them in the conference schedule so to do that today we start with the baylor bears and i have kendall kaut of uh, our daily bears coming back to the show kendall how are you doing today
1: uh doing well andy always a pleasure to be on with you
0: yeah yeah it's it's always great to have you it's it's nice being back in the kansas city area getting to talk with someone who's local because it's absolutely fantastic not have to worry so much about time zones and all that fun stuff so but Kendall, I did want to go ahead and get just jump right in with these Baylor Bears because last season was the first season with new coach Dave Aranda. Obviously, the COVID year kind of made it difficult to take too much from that last year's team, but what were the main takeaways that you were able to take from what happened last year and, and how that team kind of finished out the year?
1: Sure. Uh, great way to start, Andy. I think it's easy to maybe divide football in two halves with Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda is a defensive mastermind. I think he coaches football for the Kansas city listeners and kind of that Andy Reed style in reverse or a bill Belichick style. Dave Aranda is very involved in the defense. He has a defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts who was with him at some previous stops and Dave Aranda focuses on that side of the ball. Kind of like Andy Reid with the chiefs where very involved in the offensive game plan. Then defensively, uh, you know, Steve Spagnuolo can do what he wants to do. Andy Reid's going to talk to Pat Mahomes during those breaks, maybe look at a challenge while the defense is playing. So defensively Baylor last year, more than exceeded expectations with some of the losses on the defensive line offensively uh, expectations were not met, which is why Larry Fedora is no longer the offensive coordinator.
0: Yeah. Which is kind of weird. I mean, obviously like one year in a kind of a COVID year, you would almost think that it'd be a gimme year for pretty much everybody. But uh, so, so what was it that was just so poor about the way that Larry, Larry Fedora ran the offense and he ended up getting, you know, canned after that one season with Aranda.
1: Sure. So there are a lot of rumors that came out about that season, Andy and, I'm pretty plugged into the basketball program from covering them. I covered the final four in person. I wrote a book about uh, Baylor winning the basketball title, how they drew it up available on Amazon. Some say you're racist. If you don't buy a book about largely black men and one white basketball player achieving their dreams. But that aside, Andy, um, I think the rumors were kind of all over the place. Some people said was Larry Fedora all the way there. Did he, you know, not work enough hours. I'm not in that locker room. I'm not at those practices. I have nothing myself to verify that. Some just said offensively his, stylistic decisions are a little different than what the program needed today. Others just say he didn't vibe with people. Still others would have said he's still good. Just bad luck last season, whatever it was didn't work out. And I got to give a random credit for saying it didn't work. I got to make a change. Maybe the change doesn't work, but you got to make changes when the reality is not working out.
0: Yeah. I I almost wonder too, if that, you know, 42 to three loss against Oklahoma state at the end of the year is kind of what sealed it for him. Like if they had shown some more offensive life, maybe they would have had an opportunity for him to kind of hang on and get an opportunity to develop. But, You know, Oklahoma State, yeah, their defense was pretty good last year, but they weren't as good of a defense as some of the other teams that they faced where they actually scored fairly well, you know, earlier in the season. So it almost seemed like with Baylor, you know, once they got to the point where it was pretty clear that they weren't going to have a chance at a bowl game, the offense especially just kind of tanked on them. Um, Are are you worried at all about motivation for any of these players or, or do you chalk that up to just weird COVID season that they had last year?
1: I think the guys that are coming back, Andy, are very committed to the program. Uh, Tristan Ebner nearly opted out last season. He's Baylor's running back. Decided to come back. He came back for this season. Uh, John Lovett transferred to Penn State. Had been a good Baylor running back for a few seasons. Charlie Brewer, longtime quarterbacks now at Utah. So I think the guys that are there are motivated. It'll be a question of are they talented enough in a pretty good Big 12?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of an understatement about how good the Big 12 is this year. It's not going to get the love, I think, that a lot of other conferences are. But, you know, this looks like with with realignment on the horizon here, it looks like we could have a fascinating last two or three or four, depending on how often you you know how quickly you believe all that's going to happen. Um, last few years of the Big Twelve, at least the way that it's currently constituted. But I do want to ask because you talked about Charlie Brewer transferring. Um, so so let's just go ahead and jump right into the offense here. Who who is going to be the quarterback for Baylor, and what kind of changes are going to have to happen for that quarterback to be successful?
1: It's an open question right now. Who's going to win the job? Dave Aranda didn't announce it. And there are some people that they don't announce college football stuff because they want every advantage, possibly a bad omen for the Les Miles era. I know for KU fans was he didn't want to announce the starter till about seven seconds before the season. I think yeah, uh, toward the end of the uh, David Beatty era seemed to be like that too, where they never quite wanted to let you know. And I think that is sort of the concern for Baylor, that they have three guys still in the running for the job. And as the old adage, you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Well, if you have three, what does that mean? Right. And so we don't know who's going to start for Baylor. I think it'll probably be Gary Bohannon. He was a kid from Earl, Arkansas, four-star recruit, played small-town football. And so whether his downfield passing is accurate enough is the big question with him. Jacob Zeno played in the Big 12 championship game two seasons ago, had two absolutely monster throws, and is probably the most talented guy. But a at Big 12 Media Days mentioned about his leadership and how well he works in the huddle. And then Blake Shapin plays in baseball as well and is a pretty talented kid. All those three will battle it out. My guess is Gary Bohannon wins it. And then in the future, they got a kid named Chiron Drones who was really good in Texas, not ready to take the job now, but in kind of a Star Wars omen where the Emperor says, you know, one day Lord Vader will be more powerful than either of us. They said we couldn't get that nerdy Andy. We did it for the people. One day, Chiron Drones will be a better quarterback than all three on the roster.
0: I love all the all, all the pop culture references that we always have whenever you're on the show, so absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I am a little surprised that, you know, it seemed to me – at least the way that Zeno played in that big 12 championship. Like I expected him to get more consideration in this last season when Brewer was there, um, just when Brewer started struggling. And I honestly thought the job was going to be his, like, what is it? Or why do you think that there is such an open competition when it seemed like he played really well? Is it just the fact that Aranda's the coach now and he's evaluating him potentially completely differently than, than the prior
1: staff? Yeah. So the, Zeno thing is always weird to me I think definitively somebody besides Charlie Brewer should have gotten snaps at the end of last season and when Charlie Brewer transfers the day after the season ends that is a big indictment of last year's team that you should have played a different quarterback at some time that statement I've heard kind of secondarily sourced again not directly is that there were some questions about kind of how Zeno performed with the team whether they liked him as much did they feel like he was working hard enough and did the players like him as much again it's just a few pockets of what I've heard my viewpoint is I think Zeno was the most talented guy should have gotten a run last season but he played a lot in that Oklahoma State game couldn't complete a lot of passes Baylor's offensive line was atrocious so you can understand a little bit why those decisions happened I think they're the wrong decisions but they're not quite as black and white as some of the decisions in life
0: yeah, it's also one of those things, like, obviously the offensive line has a huge impact on whether a quarterback can be successful, but just as important is how much on the same page he can be with his receivers. And if, if there's tension in the locker room, it's really hard to get them on the same page there and actually have a successful offense. I know that, that Kansas had all kinds of issues with that, mainly offensive line related, but, you know, also just the fact that timing's off. You know, if the guys are, are having some sort of problem that bleeds over into the field. So I, I I could definitely understand that. Also, I completely understand about the whole secondhand sources. That's pretty much the only kind of sources we get here. I only have a couple people that I know that are actually even close to the program. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely one of those things where I was a little bit more surprised that Brewer played and started and was the leading quarterback in every single one of those games, especially when it became pretty clear that something was going on with him at the end of the season and that, you know you kind of had an inkling kind of like you said, where he transferred the day after the season ended. Like you had an inkling that something was going on. There was some sort of relationship issue with, with someone on staff or something that there was a good chance he was going to move on either. Cause he was just going to move on and try to go professional um, or actually, wait a minute. What, what year is he? Is he a, was he a junior this last season? For some reason I thought he was. Uh, but,
1: so this was his uh, fourth year, senior year. He's taking okay, extra year. Okay. Utah. Yeah,
0: that's yep. right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, whether he's going to go pro or whether he was going to transfer, like I, I, th- I thought it was pretty clear that Brewer was not going to be sticking around for next year. And so, yeah, I would have thought they would have given other people an opportunity. Um, so yeah, I, I was definitely surprised. What about the weapons that whoever the quarterback ends up becoming is going to have in this offense? Like, is, are there any guys that you're really kind of looking at that are going to step up big and, and actually help ease in whoever the quarterback is?
1: Yeah. I think the skill position talent is very, very good at Baylor. It's, it's around the skill position where the question is. So Taequann Thornton had over a thousand yards or near a thousand yards two years ago. When Brewer was the starter and played well that year, Baylor made the Big 12 title game. RJ Snead had a phenomenal year last season, had like over 200 yards in their lone Big 12, non-Kansas victory against Kansas State last season. Tristan Ebner's back, and Abraham Smith had played linebacker, converted to running back. Our guy, Travis at our site's not a homer or glass half full guy. After the KU victory to open Big 12 play last season, he was the first guy in kind of Baylor media that I heard that was like, I am really worried about Charlie Brewer. I don't think he's good enough right now to play quarterback with where his arm strength is. He said that he thinks Abraham Smith is so talented. He might be a future NFL back. So skill position talent at Baylor looks a lot like it looked the year that Baylor made the big 12 championship game, but there's a big, but there about some other spots on Baylor's team this year and why they're probably not a big 12 title game contender without a lot of luck or a lot of development.
0: Right. Right now sticking with the offense here, because um, obviously you talked about how, how rough it was for the offensive line towards the end of the year. And that really, I think, is the biggest differentiator between anyone in the Big 12 right now is how good is your offensive line to give any of your other players on the offense an actual opportunity to do anything. So what has Baylor done in the offseason or who do you expect to step up to help shore up that offensive line to actually give them an opportunity to do something offensively?
1: Baylor both has guys back that will be healthy. So Connor Galvin was one of Baylor's best offensive linemen that Big 12 championship season. He should be healthy, ready to go and hold down probably left tackle. They got a transfer starter from Vanderbilt and a transfer starter from Buffalo. So two new guys they can plug and play. And they have a bevy of guys that have started at makeshift times during the season. So the hope is one more season, new offensive coaching staff. You can go from really, really, really does not meet expectations to below expectations, which sometimes going from catastrophic to mediocre is a better jump for a team than going from good to great. And, that's kind of the spin I think you can have if you're a believer in Baylor's offense this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Kansas is kind of in the same boat. Like you go, go, you go from catastrophic to just even like average, like that gives you an opportunity. Whereas catastrophic, you literally don't get to run anything average. You at least get an opportunity to see what works. You can, you know, scheme around that. You can game plan around that. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely interested to see how well Baylor is able to go ahead and actually make that jump forward on the offense. Um, so just overall, what is your general feel for the offense? I mean, are you expecting big jumps from anyone in particular? Is there a particular newcomer on the offensive side that you're really looking forward to seeing what they're able to do?
1: I think it's probably Abraham Smith is a full-time running back with Ebner. How successful can he be? And that's kind of, I think where the tenor of the offense will be. Then quarterbacks, the big question, if Baylor's ninth or 10th in the big 12 in quarterback play, then they're probably not making a bowl game. And that'll probably set the standard for where Baylor's season ends.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, I do want to go ahead. We got there a little quicker than I thought, but I do want to go ahead and, and jump over to the defense. But before we do that, I'm going to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. All right, so here with, with Kendall Count of uh, Our, Our Daily Bears previewing the Baylor football season, let's jump over to the defense. We've already done the offense. Um, in the defense, like I think this is probably one of the biggest question marks for for Baylor because they had a lot of problems seems to stopping people from scoring last year, especially at the end of the season. Where are you expecting the biggest changes on defense for this baylor Bear team?
1: So I think it was a really good defense last year. I would agree kind of the net stats and points per game, which obviously the most important stat I think was so catastrophically impacted by how bad the offense was against Iowa state. They get four turnovers in the first half and just the offense did nothing. And suddenly Baylor has a 10 point lead early in the game, loses that game, Oklahoma. They hold the lowest points per play of the Lincoln Riley era and Norman still lose that game. And so it's real hard for Baylor's defense to be that good and still not be successful. I think with Terrell Bernard back and healthy at linebacker, Jalen Petrie is a preseason All-American. And then the secondary still seems to be pretty good. And they landed an LSU transfer at defensive tackle that they think can kind of plug up the nose. Defensive line won't be as good as the era of James Lynch, uh, James Lockhart, and Bravion Roy. But that one dominant nose tackle allows him to play multiple gap techniques to stuff the run. And they can drop seven or eight guys back in pass protection more often get some linebacker blitzes with Petrie and Bernard. I think it has the makings of a really successful defense and one that if it had a functioning offense, would be one of the top two in the Big 12. But if the offense functioning, that'll really situate how well the defense can play.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that has a lot to do with it, as we saw. You know, I mean, even Kansas fans are, are well aware if the defense can't do anything, uh, it puts your offense in a lot of tough spots or, or vice versa. If the offense can't do anything, it makes it really hard for the defense, you know, who can be really, really good. Over the first three quarters, eventually you tire out, and if the offense isn't giving them any kind of rest, isn't giving them any kind of support, and it's all in that defense, then they're gonna. You know, even the best defenses cannot withstand a nonstop onslaught of coming off the field for three plays and then being right back out on the field again. So, um, specifically though, looking at the position groups, because you know we actually over over on the ten twelve podcast, I had a couple people over there helping me with a with a with a draft of sorts, um, and trying to identify which. You know which position groups were the best. And the one that came up a bunch is, is actually the safety position for Baylor. Do you agree that that's probably the strongest position defensively for Bay- for Baylor this year, or is there somewhere else that you're looking at a little bit more?
1: I would disagree. I think safety has a chance to be pretty good for Baylor, but Terrell Bernard was an all-Big 12 player two seasons ago, missed almost all of last year when he got injured not long after that Kansas game. Jalen Petrie could be an All-American at the end of the season in his fifth year at the program, played at an all-Big 12 level last year. Then Dylan Doyle transferred from Iowa his speed isn't quite there, but I think this season with Petrie and with Bernard healthy all year can focus on stopping the run. He's a great tackler. Father fired at Iowa after kind of that scandal about what had gone on as him as the weight lifting instructor, the strength coach, but a really good linebacker. So I think that trio provides a pretty good linebacker core. So I elevate that position a little bit more above safety. But JT Woods is very quick. Chris Miller will play in the secondary as well. Raleigh at cornerback. They have a really good secondary, good linebackers. I think with uh Ica at uh, defensive tackle, that's a good group as well. So I think the defense is really good. It's just, oh, man, that offense. I know I keep coming back to it, but yeah, if you're like, yeah. well, if, th- if this defense is that good, then why are you kind of predicting we're going to predict Baylor to be when that question comes? I would stress defense is very good. I would probably take the under in a lot of early Baylor games.
0: Look, look, we understand that very well. There have actually been years where the Kansas defense is probably – in the top half, if not the top third of the conference's defenses, but the stats look absolutely horrible. The rest of like, it looks bad because literally they were on the field for 40 something minutes in the game. And and like, that is just completely unsustainable. So yeah, I definitely understand that, you know, where that comes from and you have to look at it as an entire team. Um, so, so, so you mentioned the linebacker position. I do think that they have one of the better linebacking cores in the entire big 12, honestly. Um, Kind of looking at the other two main areas though def- the the defensive line who who are you expecting to kind of step up and who, who like give me at least one name of a guy that we need to know that we'll probably hear from a bunch if, if you're paying attention to any of the Baylor games this year
1: Yeah, I think uh, ICA, the guy who transferred from LSU so he was a guy who's going to play nose tackle Baylor will run a three four or a three three five kind of more traditionally and he can plug up play that two gap technique as I had mentioned. They rave about him all the time. Anytime you see a press conference with Baylor guys that are like, this guy's built different. This guy's so fast. He gets to the quarterback all the time. You might say, well, Baylor's offensive line leaves a little bit to be desired, but they weren't talking this way about anybody last season. I think he's the most likely big 12 breakout candidate. And I think there's a good chance. He's the big 12 defensive newcomer of the year, regardless of how bad or how well the season goes.
0: That's that's fair. I mean, and, and, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of interesting candidates for that. Cause there's a bunch of other defensive players that are transferring in across the entire big 12, but. I do agree with you. Kind of seeing what he was able to do at LSU in the in the amount of time that he had, and then transferring over. Like I think he comes into a perfect position where he's going to be able to step up and is going to be able to kind of lead that group and accumulate a lot of stats and and put himself in that position to kind of get those those postseason accolades. Um, to round it out on the defense, what about the cornerback positions? We talked about the safeties, but the rest of that defensive secondary, as as a lot of Kansas fans know, you can have really really good safeties, but if your corners get burnt all the time, it doesn't really matter.
1: Sure. So, uh, Raleigh Tejada is a really good cornerback. His brother played at TCU a few years back. Some of the advanced stats graded him out very, very highly. He can kind of be a shutdown corner. JT Woods, I mentioned at safety, is one of the better safeties in the league and has played for a long time. So, it's a good secondary. If the defensive line can get pressure outside of just Ica being kind of a two-gap technique guy that'll stop anybody else from coming, that'll be a good spot for them. I think they can hold up pretty well. So, they have to make a Big 12 defense and get them to a Big 12 championship game other side of the ball does not have the talent to get in there unless they kind of shock my mind but that side of the ball looks really really good.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, so so enough on the defense. Let's let's jump over to the special teams actually because I know that there was a there's a few questionable special teams plays last year. Um yeah, yeah. not only with Baylor like around the conference it seemed like there was a lot of teams that had problems with that. So, what what is different about special teams this year? Are you expecting that to take a step forward?
1: I don't know that I would I think that uh, Tristan Ebner being back as a fifth year senior and that maybe being a focal point for him that he's not going to maybe play running back as much with Abraham Smith could do better in kick returns and punt returns Baylor's had the weirdest stretch of punt returns over the last several years where for a while they were just letting the ball hit and bounce wherever it may because they were fumbling so many punt returns so that is another group that we talk about going from catastrophic to mediocre would be a pretty nice step some lists have Ebner is a possible All-American is a punt returner and kick returner. Maybe he achieves that, but special teams probably isn't a strength for Baylor, but maybe it's not a net negative overall.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that uh, really, I think that's the best you can hope for, unless you're a team like Kansas State where, like, special teams is your bread and butter yeah, where the- you get a whole bunch from it. Like, I think that's really – you just want to make sure the special teams doesn't, like, destroy the team for you, so – they already have the defense that potentially could, or I'm sorry, the offense that potentially do that for them this year. So they don't need a second phase of the game doing that. All right. So, so let's run through the schedule real quick um, and actually take a look and see kind of what we think is going to happen with this particular team. I, I have my own thoughts about how good Baylor is going to be this year, but I'm definitely interested in getting kind of your, your thoughts. Cause you're a lot closer to the program than I am start with. We're actually just going to go ahead and start and group all of the non-conference together. Um, I realize that that BYU game isn't until October 16th, but um, you know, I think they're the only ones that really don't have that non-conference all at the beginning. So, uh, looking at Texas state versus Texas Southern, and then kind of in the middle of the schedule, that, that marquee non-conference game against BYU. I mean, any of those games have you particularly worried other than of course the BYU game? Cause BYU should be pretty good this year.
1: Yeah. You've said it exactly right. If Baylor loses to one of the, uh, Texas teams that might be in the next iteration of whatever conference Baylor ends up and hopefully not. Uh, then I would be very worried. So I think 2-0 against that duo and then the BYU game probably leans BYU but is a winnable game with what BYU lost. But still, I would lean BYU in that one.
0: Yeah, I I, I do find it interesting. I'm, you know, just random thing that that jumped out to me. I do see that the the game against BYU, like if you're looking at ticket prices right now, that is the most expensive game for (laughs) tickets-wise, even (laughs) over, say, like the Oklahoma or the Texas game, Um, which I find that really interesting. But I think that tells you just how how much, you know, hyped up that, that particular game is the fact that it's smack them in the middle of the schedule means that it's, you know, it's going to give both teams an opportunity to kind of get to their peak ideally before we actually see that. So it's not going to be like an early season, you know, I guess upset or anything like that where, where one team is just not ready for it. So, all right. Um, so, so looking then now starting with the actual big 12 schedule, you know, in week three, they go to Kansas, I uh, just start off again. It, it seems like Kansas and Baylor play really early. um. You know, the last few seasons, I'm not really sure what the reason for that is other than maybe, I don't know if you're going to start on a non-traditional conference, you know, game weekend Um, get, get two of the teams that maybe people wouldn't necessarily be as excited about to kind of be that first big 12 conference play. So people actually pay attention to it. Um, Thoughts about that Kansas game. Is there anything specifically that you see that you've seen from Kansas that may potentially have you a little bit worried about this game?
1: It shouldn't be. Uh, I think the biggest worry is just that Les Miles is not on the sideline anymore. And so right, I right. think that w- whatever win above replacement you get from Lance, Leipold is how I always see it pronounced. That is correct pronunciation? Leipold, Eddie. yep. Okay, fair. And I, Even living in Kansas City, I hear people say Leipold, and I'm like, I'm oh, pretty I know. sure it's I know. Leipold. It's,
0: it's kind of funny. I'm, like, I'm
1: pretty sure. Uh, so I will say that is enough to make uh, – that, that was like the biggest win that Kansas could have gotten. I think I'm very big on that hire, but I'm not real big on that hire in year one, taking over what Les Miles had not done at Kansas – uh, so I think Baylor should win that game. And if Baylor doesn't win that game, Ooh man, it's not going to be a nasty day on message boards, on Twitter, on everything else. And we will immediately go to probably, you know, trying to say, Andy, we're, we're a basketball institution. We want to talk about basketball. Right. That's right. The, he, you can't be losing if you're Baylor this year.
0: You know, it's, it's actually kind of funny because I, I do think actually the story about that will be determined, not even by what Baylor does prior to that, but what Kansas does against coastal Carolina the week before, if Kansas goes out, you know, to Coastal Carolina and is competitive in that game and then wins a close one against Baylor. I mean, yes, immediately people are going to say, oh, my gosh, you have no business losing that game. But I do think that by the end of the season, especially if the rest of the season goes fairly well for Baylor, that people could potentially forgive that because for Kansas, I think this year, it's really going to be either the new system, you know, all the transfers in from Buffalo, like everything is going to take really well and they're going to hit the ground running or they're going to have those huge growing pains. So if they're super competitive against Coastal Carolina, I think that leans more towards the former, where Leipold's come in and made an immediate impact on the way things are run, the way they've identified what people can do, the way that they game plan, like all the things that Les Miles was bad with on actual game day, Leipold is actually really good with typically. And so if that game prior is competitive, I do think maybe Baylor fans won't necessarily be as, as, as happy with it, but I do think Kind of, if you take a step back and look, try to look at it objectively, it would at least be excusable if Kansas can be competitive against Coast Carolina. If Kansas gets blasted, which is probably the more likely one, and then this game is competitive, then I think you are going to have a lot of people that are kind of worried. You know, theori- theoretically, that would be a super troublesome sign unless Kansas just takes a huge leap after that. But I, I do agree, Kansas should not win this game, even though it is in Lawrence. Um, I-, I don't know that this should necessarily be that competitive. But again, Kansas' biggest problem last year wasn't really the defense. They have a lot of really good defensive players coming back. It was it, it was essentially a very similar thing to what Baylor had last year where the offensive line just couldn't do anything, didn't give that offense any opportunity to score any points. And so I guess that's really what it's going to come down to is who has a bigger improvement on that offensive line and is going to be able to translate that then into an offense that can actually do something.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a great analysis, Andy. All right, so
0: next two games, I, I think as a Baylor fan, I'd probably be a little bit worried about you know, welcoming Iowa state in and then traveling to Oklahoma state. Do you think that either of those games with the way things are right now, from what you've seen, do you think either of those games are, are even kind of in the, you know, coin flip stretch, or do you think it's pretty heavily weighted towards Iowa state and, and, and Oklahoma state in those games?
1: I do not think they're a coin flip stretch, but I think that it's possible Baylor could beat Iowa state. If some things break, right. I guess what I say it's possible is the Baylor's played Iowa state very close the last few years, beat them two years ago. Um, Played them close the year before that. uh, Played a lot closer game than they should have with the abilities those teams had in the final records. And the other thing you look at with Iowa State is all across that Matt Campbell era, they played a lot better at the end of the season than they have at the beginning, it seems like. So catching them early, maybe get an advantage there. There was a huge fiasco two years ago about Baylor not giving enough tents to Iowa State in the heat. Uh, so I think yeah. there's a chance Baylor beats Iowa state, but I would probably say Iowa state's a 75% favorite and probably put Oklahoma state at 85% if we're throwing out random guesses of a guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt on a Sunday. Right. In August. Right.
0: Well, I mean, then obviously it doesn't help that, that the Oklahoma state game is at, you know, is, is down in Stillwater. So that doesn't necessarily help. Um, I also just think that, Kind of like what you said that Baylor, I think in general, teams tends to match up a lot better against Iowa State. Kind of like how Kansas for the longest time matched up really well against TCU for 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 whatever reason. Those games were always a lot closer than they should have been, with the exception of a couple games that we won't talk about. Um, You know, so like I I definitely do think the fact that it's at home, it's you know, it's the home conference opener. That unless you know, unless they just lose to Kansas the week before, like they're going to be fired up for that game. It's going to give them an opportunity to kind of make some noise early in the season to show that they are a lot more improved than they, you know, than, than a lot of people seem to think that they are. Be. So I do think that there's an opportunity for them in that particular game. I do, though, think that Iowa State is a little bit better um, than even most people are actually giving them credit for. So, I, I mean, I, I, I think that Iowa State has a chance to actually win the conference this year and potentially make the playoff if they can get past the Oklahoma game. So we'll, we'll have to see, you know, how that actually happens. This is definitely a game that Iowa State has no business losing, though, if that's what their designs are for the season. So, all right, uh, next three games the West Virginia, um, and then there's the game against BYU, which we kind of already talked a little bit about, but if you have any other thoughts about that, before the bye week where they then play Texas and then go to TCU. Any, any of those four games, anything jump out to you about those?
1: I think that um, West Virginia is a winnable game, but West Virginia to me is the most unknown Big 12 team. Like, I think you can make a case that West Virginia and Neil Brown's next season could be the third best team in the league. I think you can squint and say maybe they'll finish ninth in the league. I think they have by far the biggest kind of delta for what their season will be. Um, Texas, I'm not going to say anything nice about them. Maybe the SEC will say something nice about Texas. So I'm not going to talk about them. I hope they lose every game. Uh, if I am credentialed and I'm at an event where I have to vote on Texas players, I will objectively vote on accomplishments and will not hold that against Texas. But any other scenario, I'm going to hold it against Texas. So I hope they lose. I hope the game is canceled. I hope the Big 12 says the game is actually going to be played in Alaska and Baylor can play in Waco. and We're going to simulate Texas's performance. I don't care about that. I'm <laughs> not giving real answers about Texas. I don't care for their people. Um, that's my answer there. And then BYU is a tough game. So that's a tough stretch. I think TCU is a slight favorite, at least in that game. Um, a little bit unknown with them. I think there's a case for TCU making the Big 12 championship game. So I would put TCU as the favorite in that contest as well.
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that TCU, it's all going to depend on on their quarterback. You know, if if uh, Max Duggan has a really great year, that team is it could, you know, finish second or third in the conference. If, if he struggles a little bit, which he's shown to do at, at times, Uh, and and gets into his head a little bit too much, then, you know, TCU, I I could see finishing all the way down in seventh or eighth. Now, I think part of that is just because of how tightly grouped that middle of the conference is. So, like, it doesn't take much to go from third in the conference all the way down to eighth. But I definitely do think that TCU is one of the better teams in the Big 12 this year, or at least should be one of the better teams in the Big 12 this year. And so, um, you know, unless Baylor takes a huge jump forward, I think it's going to be difficult for them to win more than one of those four games. Um, And then finishing up the season, then, you know, three weeks in a row, in middle late November, they welcome Oklahoma in, go to Kansas State, and then have their final game against Texas Tech. The good old fashioned, as as we 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 like to uh, uh, fondly call it, the butt bowl is going to end the year.
1: Yep, uh, Oklahoma is going to win that game. I think the one claim you can make is that Lincoln Riley seems to lose one game he shouldn't a year, and if they haven't lost to the team they shouldn't by the end, and they're you know nine and zero. People are going to say, well, yeah, Oklahoma can win the title. But I think you can realistically say, somebody's going to upset this team. Why can't it be us? Well, the reality is they're a lot more talented. But why not try and spin zone that one? Uh, Texas Tech is a very winnable game because I think there's a good chance Matt Wells is fired before this game. So whether you get the boost from interim head coach, I don't know. But I think Matt Wells is probably going to get fired this year. So I think Baylor will win that game. And then K-State, how good Skylar Thompson is going to be in year 19 in the program, I don't know. (laughs) uh, But – I think Baylor has a good chance to win those final two games of the year, as long as they have not gotten so demoralized, maybe a few tough losses beforehand. Maybe they make the OU game closer than it should be Win the last two get to five and seven or six and six, they're bowling. It's a happy time in America for the bears.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Skylar Thompson is like the Perry Ellis of football in the big 12. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. I think to kind of look at that end schedule, um, Kansas state, I think has a lot of variant and I, and of course that's, kind of the issue with the Big 12 this year is that when they're so grouped, you can talk about teams having a lot of variance in terms of where they finish, but it may only be one win difference, you know, to, to get from third all the way down to eighth or something like that. So I, I do agree with you that Texas Tech is one of those teams that could either be really good this year because Matt Wells' system finally, you know, actually happens and the defense actually takes a step forward. But Texas Tech is kind of the uh, the opposite of what Kansas and Baylor have been the last few years where, you, you know, they have a, an offense that's always been really, really good. You know, for, with the exception of you know Bowman getting injured and then they have to shuffle in, in the last couple of years, but a defense has just been atrocious. And so, if they can get that defense to move forward, I do think they have enough enough there offensively this year that they could potentially be a pretty salty team. The question, of course, is going to be, you know, do they have bad bad enough losses early in the year that Matt Wells? doesn't get an opportunity. I do think that this is yeah. Th- like Matt Wells is probably the the coach on the hot seat the most in all of the Big 12 this year, which is partly because there's just not a lot of coaches that are on the hot seat, but then also because Matt Wells is the one guy who had who you know, by every account has had very very poor first two seasons in his actual job. So, um all right. So so after we, we've gone we've gone through all the games, so if you have to give me a um kind of a guess about where you think Baylor's going to be what do you think that the record is going to be at the end of the year?
1: I think it's five and seven or six and six, depending on what day you catch me on. I'll give you a different answer. I hate Texas enough. Baylor's not going to win the Texas game, but as a good big 12 American, I am taking Baylor to go six and six. And I'm predicting Texas loses every game. Uh, but if I were, you know, gun to my head, I would still say the same thing because if I'm going to die, I'm going to die picking against Texas. So uh, six and six, KU beats Texas again. Everyone beats Texas. But Hell yeah. if you were to say, you, you can't count that one, five and seven.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's weird because this this Texas team and we didn't really talk much about them, but just looking at them objectively anyway, you know they have two quarterbacks. We have no idea which one it's actually going to be. You know you, you have Sark as a first year coach in the Big Twelve. Um, theoretically, you know coming from the SEC and kind of what he's had and and the, the the teams that he that he's been coaching against and all that, he should be able to come in and be mildly successful against the Big Twelve. But again, with how good the Big Twelve is and how established a lot of these are, you know these teams are and the fact that Texas. For whatever reason, always seems to underperform, it, it, especially in the first year under whoever their new coach is. Like it's it's hard for me to see Texas actually being a really good team this year, um, you know. So I, I do think that Texas could potentially get upset a couple times. You know, whether it's Kansas and Baylor, I think that would be absolutely hilarious if the you know if the the two teams that people seem to think are going to be the worst or two of the worst teams in the in the Big Twelve conference this year upset Texas and Texas falls below them, I would be absolutely ecstatic for that. So. All right, so that's um that's gonna finish it up, I think, for our football preview. But of course, every time we bring you on, Kendall, we always have to talk about basketball. So let's jump really quick, you know. It makes the most sense to do it here as well because you know, Baylor was national champion last year. If we had a tournament in 2020, I think that Kansas probably would have been national champion that year. You have two really, really good teams as well, two loaded teams that are coming back this year. What are you looking forward to the most from this, you know, from this actual season? Do you think that there's a good chance that we could have, you know, ranked one and two Kansas versus Baylor for two games this year in the big 12?
1: Uh, I think there's a possibility. I think Baylor, they always say you're going to be better in March than you are in November. For most teams, that's the spin coaches always have, but I think that's a pretty good case for Baylor that, you know, KU Texas million transfers coming in. How are they going to figure it out? But you still, if you're Kansas have three or four starters that'll return this season. Uh, if you're Baylor, Matt Meyer, Adam Flagler, Jonathan chama we are going to play a lot more minutes. They have a five-star Kendall Brown, who played at Sunrise Christian down in Wichita. So, real good team. I think they're better than Texas. I think KU is better than Texas. And I hope with the officiating, the Big 12 deserves. Texas Tech can be better than Texas. So, I think Big 12 lies one and two. I think ultimately, though, Gonzaga and UCLA are probably the most talented teams on paper. But they don't play the games on paper, and all they play on paper are the lawsuits that hopefully Texas will be facing. So, hopefully Baylor and Kansas can both be in the Final Four.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, I I do think that the the Big 12 is going to have a lot of really good basketball teams again this year, like they do every single year. Um, I do think that, you know, Gonzaga and UCLA are going to get a lot of the hype coming into the basketball season, but I do think as we get further and further into Big 12 play that both Kansas and Baylor are going to kind of, you know, establish themselves and really show how good they are. I do think, though, that there's some other good Big 12 teams that could jump up there as well. So, like, I don't think it's a guarantee that Kansas and Baylor are one and two in the conference. Um, You know, Baylor did lose – some very key pieces to that title run that they had last year. Um, so the question is going to be how well everyone else steps up and how well they can kind of all come together. But I do think we're going to have another year where I think all but maybe two teams are going to be in the top, you know, 40 in Ken Palm. It's going to be an absolute, another phenomenal season for the big 12. I think that's what, what pisses me off the most about this, you know, OU and Texas leaving is the, not the fact that, you know, it's going to destroy the football side of the conference. And it's going to cause a lot of problems and the, the conference itself may not survive it. I think it's we're, we're going to lose probably the best basketball conference that we you know have seen in a really really long time. You know, everyone talks about how good the ACC is or how good the Big Ten is, but the Big Twelve hands down has been the best, the most consistent, the most balanced conference in you know in the last ten years in in the Ken Palm era. And so I I that's what I'm going to miss the most about once everything happens here. Um, but I, I do know that there are tons of good basketball schools that are in this conference that just don't get their due. So hopefully the biggest thing to come out of this is that wherever all of our teams end up, they actually start getting the respect that they deserve when it comes to their their basketball teams.
1: I agree with that. And if we all end up in the Big East in basketball only, there'll be no doubt we'll say they just play basketball yeah. a little bit differently on the East Coast. And the Catholic plus Baptist plus Kansas, they play a little differently. Hopefully we add Gonzaga and then we can say, I'm sorry in the SEC, they don't play hoops quite like we do on the East Coast. Right, right,
0: exactly. All right, Kendall, <laughs> um, thanks for joining me today. Where, where Where can people find your work online?
1: Uh, they can find me on Twitter if they want to see me fight with Texas fans, which seems to be my main occupation now, at Kendall, It's Couch. lots of fun. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And it is quite a time, Andy. And then I'm rdailybears.com. Uh, and if I am on Facebook, don't add me because that website is a hellhole.
0: I, I definitely agree with that. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Kendall, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasts so you, you can subscribe to get every episode as soon as it comes out. Really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in, in as entertaining a way as possible. So, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, just leave me um, or just, just contact me by email at rockchalkpodcastgmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, we are on the anchor platform. So, if you want to leave us a voicemail to get your voice on the show, you can do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock chalk podcast slash message. And I promise we'll get you on the show as long as you're not completely inappropriate. Uh, We also are now just launched the big, the, the new big 12 network, the Ten Twelve network. We have a bunch of great shows covering all of the conference. So I highly recommend you check out any of the other podcasts that are on the network. We'll have links to all of them in the show notes. I appreciate you guys coming. Thank you so much for listening. I will, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk podcast.
1: Network.